If you ever feel lost as a mother and you're not quite sure what your gifts and desires and passions are or how you can be a person and a mom at the same time, I wanted to remind you that I am teaching workshops, one in January in Boise and one in February in Twin Falls, Idaho, about how to declutter your motherhood. I am so passionate about this topic, and I actually think that it connects really well to this interview that I'm doing today with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is a sex therapist. Now, my workshop is going to have nothing to do with sex, but it is going to have a lot to do with being strong in who you are and confident in who you are as a person, and that affects every other aspect of your life. And Dr. Finlayson Fife and I talk about that in this episode. So if you're interested in attending that workshop, tickets are available on my website at 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops. This is episode 58, What Happened to My Sex Drive and What Can I Do to Get It Back? Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. This is a topic that sometimes comes up when groups of women are together. We joke about our husband's constant desire for sex, and we bemoan the fact that having little children has killed all flickers of desire in us. In fact, one of the listeners who heard that I was going to be addressing this topic on the podcast sent me this quote, and I will admit I laughed aloud when I read it. It said, you can thank your dad that you were born because chances are pretty good your mom was not in the mood. We laugh about these jokes, but all laughing and stereotypes aside, this is a really tender, sensitive topic for many women even those who may laugh about it at a girl's night, there's more going on than what they're going to talk about openly with their friends. It gets to the heart of what we believe about ourselves, our bodies, our relationships, and even our worth. I know that many of you listening have probably felt frustrated thinking, where did my sex drive even go? I used to have it, but since becoming a mom, it feels non-existent. Well, that is what we're going to be talking about today with a guest who I can honestly say is the true expert in this field. Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in relationship and sexuality counseling. She's also a mother of three and a phenomenal human being. I had the privilege of attending one of her in-person workshops this past fall, and I was truly amazed by her. I already knew that she was a genius from listening to her on various other podcasts. But what I didn't know until I met her in person is how incredibly kind and real and generous she is. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. Her work is truly life-changing. So Dr. Finlayson Fife, it's such an honor to have you on 3 and 30. Thank you for having me, Rachel. I'm happy to be here. So I have wanted to interview you for over a year. Since I started my podcast, you were one of the first people I wrote down, but I knew that I wanted to attend one of your workshops first. And I'm so glad I waited because I feel like it just gave me so much more context for the conversation that we're about to have. But I will say this, after attending your workshop, I realize now 
how huge this topic is and we mm. only have 30 minutes. So, <laughs> so we are going <laughs> to yeah. dive right in and, um, I, and I'm going to encourage everybody afterwards to look at your courses and because this is such a big involved topic, but let's just mm. start right with this question that women ask, which is what happened to my sex drive? Um, can you just start off by telling us about where these problems with sexual desire sort of come from? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the most efficient way to say it is that it feels like a biological problem when you lose your sex drive. It feels like, you know, something's just gone away and I don't know why it's gone away and there must be something wrong with me biologically. And what's usually the case is that because human beings are meaning makers inherently because we have a prefrontal cortex and we can't help but create meaning it's usually the meanings that are operating in our lives that are undermining our sexual interest. Mm. And, you know, as I talk about a lot in my workshops is the idea that uh, men, women are just as sexual as men are, but women are much pickier about uh, where they want to express and be sexual. And so meanings are especially important to women and the meanings that we have been offered often from our cultures, our families, uh, our, our faith, are oftentimes meanings that constrict us sexually, especially as women. And so oftentimes we're operating within meanings that are killing our desire or teaching us to relate to our sexuality in a particular way. And it has a massive impact on our physical responsiveness. Yes. I, I had a friend who, um, I, who had a metaphor. She said that with sexual desire, you have an accelerator and you have brakes. And yes. a lot of women think there's something wrong with their accelerator when really mm-hmm. it's that they're putting on the brakes with yes. their, with their frames of meaning. Would you say that that's accurate? Yes. I, I think that's absolutely true. And, and research shows that the more you can deal with your break, the more likely you are to feel arousal. It's not necessarily about increasing accelerators for women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are going to spend the bulk of this conversation talking about frames of meaning. Um, but I did want to briefly touch on before we dive into that. How do you know, I had a question a listener asked before this sh- episode, how do you mm-hmm. know when it is a physical problem and that you should go see a doctor about it? Yeah, that's a good first question because I think it's always smart to start with a physical checkup to see, to have a sexual health doctor check you out and just make sure hormonal levels are normal, that there aren't reasons, especially if you're having pain during intercourse, mm-hmm. to figure out if there are physical issues that are interfering because once you start having pain or a negative association with sex because of it, it can make it physical challenges get more entrenched. Mm. So it's just a good starting place to just make sure that uh, you check out in that sense. And then it's easier to kind of look at what's going on in my mind. That's really helpful to know. I know in your workshop, you told us that there's three, um, three sources of problems. Mm -hmm. One is medical or physical issues. 
One is insufficient stimulation to create arousal, which we're not Mm going to go into on this podcast, Mm -hmm. but I did want to mention that I really appreciated that your workshop did talk about this. And so Mm -hmm. um, if people are interested in learning more about that, then they can go to your art of desire course. And I love Mm -hmm. you don't mince words. You just, you just explain anatomy and explain Mm -hmm. how to deal with that. And then the third um, reason why we might have problems with desire is this attributed meanings that we give to our sexuality and to our relationships. So that's where we're going to focus today. Um, Mm -hmm. And one thing that I loved that you described in the workshop was the idea of the difference between constrictive frames of meaning and expansive frames of meaning and what a difference that can make. So I was wondering if you could start by just kind of explaining that principle. Yeah. Well, one of the things that somebody whose work I follow quite a bit is, is Dr. David Schnarch. And he talks about the fact that as human beings, more than we want to be sexual, we want to belong to our own sense of self. We don't want to feel taken over. We don't want to feel that we owe somebody our lives. You know, our sense of agency is really important to us as human beings. So whenever we relate to sexuality in a way that makes us feel like we are losing our sense of self through our sexual relationship, we won't be desirous. Mm. On the other hand, if the way we relate to our sexuality makes us feel like we belong more deeply to ourselves, uh, it makes us feel, you know, a sense of being uh, stronger or more able or more worthy or more valuable, then we will like sex. So just as a brief example, when you're falling in love with somebody and you meet this person that just makes you feel attractive and desirable and gives you a sense of hope and possibility, your sexual desire is high, you know, because it you being with them makes you feel better, bigger, larger than your other self. Mm-hmm. And so you feel good. And so it, you want to be in connection with them because being in connection with them makes you feel um a more expansive sense of self. But if you, in your marriage, create a meaning frame in which you owe him sex or you better do it or else he's going to look at pornography or something like that, well, then it starts to feel like being sexual takes away from your sense of self. You've got to prop up somebody else's sense of self through your sexuality. And now it's obligated through marriage. Well, that's going to make you not want it very, very quickly Hmm. uh, because you start losing your sense of self through being sexual. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you mentioned, you gave the example of when you're dating someone and they touch you, like just your hand or like touch the back of your neck and you're just yeah. like, whoa, you know, it just lights so everything up for you because it's, it has meaning to you of we could have an entire life together. Like there's That's this right. expansive meaning towards it versus when you're married and your husband touches your hand or the back of your neck, it's either just every day you don't even notice it or it you could take it to mean, uh uh-oh, he's making a move on me and this isn't what I want right now. Or so that becomes a more constrictive frame of meaning that you're seeing that same touch through. That's Um, right. So how, how do we combat that? Um, and continue to have a, an expansive, you know, mindset or frame of meaning. Yes. I think, of course, I'm giving you the very expedited version of it, but I think that, that you have to first start and take a look at what are the meanings that I do have around my sexuality 
And in particular for this podcast, being a mother, because I think that often gives us a whole cultural framing of sexuality and selfhood that kills desire. And we're so accustomed to it that we can't even see it. That's the thing. So a lot of what I do in my courses is I offer people more ability to see their lives because it actually increases their agency by seeing what's there. You can't change what you can't see. Uh, yes. You know, if you don't even know you're operating within a particular system, it's impossible to work your way out of that system. So mm -hmm. a lot of it's helping people see more clearly. Yeah. And I love that, even that metaphor of seeing more clearly, I think of like frames of meaning as almost like glasses frames. It's like what you're putting on and how you're seeing your life yeah. and, and the experience of sex through this, through these lenses. And so I yeah. asked you to come prepared with three for our three takeaways. Cause it is very hard to make a topic this big and important um, into actionable steps, which is what I always promise yeah. people with this podcast so in order to try to do that a little bit, I asked you to come with three of the common meaning frames that mothers have that um, will inhibit desire, these constrictive meaning frames, and then mm -hmm. to give us some tool or strategy or some way that we can try to combat or challenge that meaning frame or turn it around. Um, so I'm yeah. really excited to hear from all of your work that you've done with hundreds and hundreds of clients over the years and then these courses and workshops some of the most common meaning frames that you hear about and what we can do about those. So what is the first meaning frame that you want to discuss? So the first one maybe I'll talk about is one that I think uh, it goes right to the heart of being a mother, which is that basically good women or good mothers strip themselves of their sexuality. And I think that, that again, this is one of these implicit meaning frames that a lot of times we're given that your sexuality, if you're a sexual woman, uh, it's counter to our notions of what good motherhood is. Because we have an idea that good motherhood is a selfless woman, a woman who sacrifices her desires and sacrifices her pleasure for the benefit of her children. And so I remember when I was younger and I was uh, sitting in church and, and th there were w young mothers around me or women that I had known that then became mothers. And I would see their they would go from like their leather purse to a quilted diaper <laughs> bag, you know, and I remember even just as an adolescent thinking, wait, you know, it's like she's becoming like a baby. Like I, I didn't quite have the words for it, but I could see that she would be sort of stripping herself of her womanliness and becoming yes. a kind of stereotype of a mother. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, again, very much in our messaging. Often we'll think of sexuality as this darker part of being human. And so we better get rid of it or suppress it or pretend it's not there for as long as possible for the benefit of our children. I can definitely see that that happens. And I also can yes. see how it happens somewhat because literally our bodies change when yes. we have, when we have children. And so that becomes an almost physical reminder of um, like, a, like a mother who's nursing um, yes. her, you know, all these things that are physical reminders of the children that are dependent on us now, those parts of our bodies used to be kind of sexy to us. Now they're yeah. just like these, these mama, you know, these milk makers. 
<laughs> oh, exactly. Very utilitarian. Yeah. Yes. And so it does sort of strip your sexuality now that you're a mother. Well, I would say it differently that it can do it. You can think of it that those are contradictory views of the breast. Okay. And uh-huh. I don't know that you have to do that necessarily to it. You don't have to think of it as like, uh, these are just milk makers because <laughs> It's possible to think of yourself as both a loving mother who Mm -hmm. will do what her children need for their well-being and also a sexy woman, that both things can coexist and, in my view, ought to coexist if Mm -hmm. you're actually going to be a good mother. Again, it's the, the, the model we're given is you strip yourself of your desires, both sexual and non-sexual desires. You strip yourself of your selfhood, then you're in a position. Now you won't be selfish. That's the meaning frame a lot of us get. But I think the more appropriate meaning frame is no being integrated. And by integrated, I mean you relate to your desires, you relate to your sexuality, you relate to your body, you relate to your own development in a way that creates strength in you, the mother, and creates strength in your children. Yes. When you don't take care of yourself in the former meaning frame, you raise up children who will on some level try to take care of you because they sense your fragility and your weakness and your self-doubt. And that's no favor to our children. When children track a mother who is, I just read some research on this, that a woman, if if children have a mother who takes good care of herself, those children tend to thrive more in the world. Because they don't hmm. have to spend energy taking care of the mother. There's a mother who's comfortable in her own skin and comfortable with herself and loves and is invested in her children. Hmm. And a lot of times we want to put it in the either or frame. Right. And is comfortable with her own desires. Like you said, not, yes. not just sexual, but with her own desires for her life and that she is a person outside of just being a mother. That, That's they, right. that her children will thrive more if they sense Absolutely. that about their mother. Absolutely. Yes. So yeah. what if, if a woman is listening to this and thinking, oh, my word, I think I fall into this frame that I've believed that um, to be a good mother, I have to strip myself of my sexuality. What is like one practical thing that she could do to challenge that um, or to, mm-hmm. to try to move away from that? Yeah, I just want to get it into the practical, which is sometimes not my strength, because let me just say a little bit why. Because a lot of times, um, what it is, is when you start waking up to something, then you're and and you see it as a problem, your mind starts to automatically start to look for what is the right way to do this for myself. And Mm. sometimes it's more nuanced than what I can say to you in a practical tip. But let me still try to make it a little bit practical. I mean, I think what I would maybe be doing is recognizing all the places that I I get anxious about sexuality and I'm teaching my children anxiety about sexuality. Hmm. So when you start seeing what you're doing, I don't know how practical that is, but it, it allows you to shift and say, can I be in relationship to my sexuality and my kids and not be so anxious? Can I try and center myself more? And think about how to be in relationship to my sexuality in a way that creates strength in me and would help create more strength in my children. What would that look like for me? Yeah. And one thing that I really took away from your class was the importance of believing that um, a woman deserves just as much sexual pleasure as a man 
that she is yeah. just as capable of having sexual pleasure as a man. Um, I yeah. think that for so many of us with these jokes, like I was saying at the beginning about, you know, men, men are so sexual and women are not, and we don't want it. That's not true. And we need to, we need to own that it's okay. Not only is it okay to have sexual desire, but we should have sexual desire and start to explore that and be okay with it. Yes, exactly. Which leads me to my second meaning frame, which is very much in that idea, which is basically that, you know, women are not as sexual as men. That's the meaning frame. And um, women's sexuality is basically exists to take care of men's sexuality. Mm. Right. So a lot of people have grown up in the idea that men are the sexual ones. Right. They're the ones who are naturally sexual, have more sexuality than women do. And women's role on some level is to manage men's sexuality. And so if you're a good wife, you will basically take care of his sexual desires and feelings at the end of the day. You will make him, this is his love language after all. So you need to basically <laughs> speak in his stupid language to get him to feel loved <laughs> and so on. And so it's very much not in the frame that you maybe felt it when you were dating, which was about excitement and belonging to your own sense of self and your future and all the possibility that's in that, you know, that's mm -hmm. exciting sexuality. Now it's in the frame of it's a job. It's not play. It's work. It's something mm -hmm. I'm supposed to do if I'm a good wife. And so I can't tell you how many people have said to me, you know, I'm just touched out at the end of the day. I've had children hanging on me all day. And the last thing I want to do is be touched again by my husband. And for me, what that, that, you know, genuine feeling is that what women are betraying is their, the paradigm that they're in, which is that my children take from me through touching me. And now my husband's going to take from me through touching me. And there's only so much taking or, you know, depletion that I can handle. So, so how do you, how do you turn that around? How do you see yeah. that in a different light? I think that, you know, what it, a different way of thinking about it is that I've been giving a lot all day to young children, which any of us who've done that know how challenging that is, right? What kind of uh, rigor is in that kind of caretaking and that I want to be taken care of tonight. I want to be loved and cared for through my sensuality and my sexuality yeah. that I'd like to be given to. Think of sexuality as a way to be in relationship to yourself, to be in relationship to your spouse, to let yourself be taken care of in this way, being given to physically as a way of, you know, filling you back up, reconnecting you to yourself and to your spouse to have the resources for that kind of work that may happen in the next 30 minutes after <laughs> when your child wakes up again, right? Yes. Um, that you have more to give, mm. but this is not the frame of you, you know, selfless woman service everyone. This is about being a whole woman who is loving, but also able to be loved, who gives, but also can deeply receive. And I think for many of us, that's a scary meaning frame to even try on. We like the control that's be in the position of always being the giver. There's, there's control in it, even though we can talk about it resentfully. Mm -hmm. Well, it does go back to what you said in the previous takeaway about um, the sense of agency 
that as long as you're the giver, you're maintaining your sense of agency. But when you start to admit that you really need something too, and that you desire it, and that you're receiving as well, it can feel a little bit scary to realize it it feels like you're not in full control anymore. That's exactly right. A lot of us, in my experience, resist receiving and, and we Again, we resent the idea that we're supposed to give all the time, but we also take a kind of safety in it. We can hide in that. Yes. And there's a whole portion of your Art of Desire class about receiving, the importance of being yes. able to receive, which I love. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. this shift of thinking about sex as um, instead of, I can't believe he wants to have sex with me right now. Doesn't he know I've been taking care of people all day and now he expects me to take care of him? Shifting that to... I've been taking care of people all day and now I would love to be cared for by him in this way. That was a major epiphany for me in your workshop. I like just wrote it right down. Um, I, I do think that some work probably needs to happen there as far as making your sex better so that it actually does feel like you're being cared for. Um, and, and not just your sex better, your relationship better, and feeling true connection with each other. So then that you have really fulfilling sex as a result. I think that's absolutely true because it's a meaning shift, but then if you're going to really shift it, then you, you have to start operating more as a partner. It's going to mean probably shifts for your husband too, because if he's always been in the idea or he himself has been enculturated into the idea that sex is for men and women service that sexuality, then and many women are married to men who really do want more egalitarian sexual relationships, but the wife has been hesitant to grow into that frame. Mm. So wherever you're, you have to address what you've been co-creating as a couple. And, you know, you have to really do at least your half to create a shift in what's actually happening. And, And again, this is very challenging work with our sense of self. I have one exercise in there that's just about a man giving to his wife. And this is an exercise where you just receive. And for many people, this is just really hard to do. Mm. And I'm, I'm not being critical of that. It is hard to really, it's a real shift for people and how they relate to themselves and their sexuality. But it's a very valuable kind of shift. And it starts opening you up to a whole different way of being in your marriage, being in relationship to yourself and being in relationship to your sexuality. Mm. And so that's about as practical as I can get. Yeah, (laughs) no, I think that's great. And like you said before, just, just starting to recognize that you may have some of these frames on, um, is huge. And that, that alone can be maybe not practical, but definitely impactful takeaways from this conversation. And then you will think about it. You will think about situations in your own life and you will come up with practical things to do to address it. I mean, that's ultimately the goal. So, okay. So that was our second frame of meaning. And then what is our third? The third, I think the third one, I would say that I think very often related to mothers is our relationship to our bodies. Mm. And again, we grow up in a culture that teaches us that women are the sexual objects of men's desire and that women are supposed to be desirable. And so the imagery that we see around us is, you know, airbrushed images of some time and culture specific ideal of the female form that is always an unreachable ideal. Back in times when there was deprivation and starvation, then it was a large 
round woman was the ideal in times of abundance, then it's an anorexic woman that's the ideal. And these are very pervasive ideals that we inherit, and yet they can sabotage our relationship to our peace of mind and our sense of self. And so this is a very damaging thing. And, and, um, and so what happens is when our bodies change or uh, our body doesn't meet the ideal, which is the case for 99.999% of us, <laughs> um, that you can feel like you're not attractive, you're not desirable, you're not acceptable sexually. Mm. And so then it's hard if you're in that frame to think of your husband's desire as legitimate because how could he be attracted to me that I think I'm so unacceptable? Right. Or you think um, that, you know, he doesn't, that basically you don't deserve to be sexual because you're not attractive enough. I mean, a lot of people feel that way, that somehow if I don't fit all the ideals, I can't allow this part of myself. Only the most attractive women can feel sexual. Wow. And this is just a very sad thing that we have had done to us and that we do to ourselves by inheriting it and accepting it, right? And, that, and I'm not blaming women for that, but more helping us recognize our agency in it, that when we take in these destructive ideals, we really do a violence to ourselves. We allow a violence to ourselves. And we have some ability to challenge that relationship. Um, I think that, um, you know, first of all, I think that the meaning shift is to redefine what it means to be desirable. Mm. That a desirable woman is a wholehearted woman, is a woman who claims her strength and the, her personhood and creates goodness in the world through her choices. And I don't mean in the selfless sense. I mean in the fully self-anchored um, sense mm -hmm. that she really is anchored into her strength and anchored into a kind of acceptance of her body and her capacities and her desires. Well, there's somebody whose um, book I love, her, the author's Lita Green, and she talks about embracing your inner hotness. Mm -hmm. And... She talks about hotness that's the kind of superficial hotness that's out there that's kind of, you know, basically objectified women's projection of a fantasy, basically soulless images that are hot, you know, in the way that a lot of people talk about it, but there's no soul there. And, um, and that's a kind of hotness that can be destructive. It's like you're you're actually using your sexuality to get power or people are objectifying and taking the soul out of somebody to have power over them. And that's a kind of destructive hotness. But she talks about this inner hotness, which is this, it's about the soul. It's about who you are, the kind of person you are. It's about embracing your value as a human being. And it's, she talks about it as not the fire that's out of control and burns things down, but the fire that's it's a kind of contained fire and it's, and then it does a lot of goodness. It offers warmth mm. and it offers strength and it allows, you know, and it's a, and it, it feels good to come close to it. And there's an intense beauty in this kind of inner hotness. This is her language of inner hotness, but she's saying, you know, uh, it's, it's okay. It matters to us as women to know that we're desirable, but 
we want to expand our notion of desirability, not to be these sort of artificial uh, image-based notions of desirability, but more about the kind of person that you are, mm. that you are more in a position of, of course he wants me, because <laughs> I know what kind of person I am in his life. I know what it is that I do and I offer and it doesn't make me better than other people, but I understand why he would want me mm-hmm. because I, I have a heart because I offer goodness in this relationship and I offer goodness in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a kind of clarity. Uh, and, and, and out of that strength, you offer acceptance to your whole body, including your stretch marks, including you, the sags that happen Time, that they are a tribute to the good things you've done in your life with your body. Mm. And I feel like um, as you talk about this inner hotness, it goes back to um, being okay with your own desires and who you really are. Yeah. I feel like that's yes. when I've fundamental, when I have sort of put off the things that I thought I should be and started to accept who I really am and my real gifts and strengths and recognize that I'm not going to be like every other woman or every other mom. Um, that's yeah. when I felt this strength and confidence that has had repercussions in other areas of my life, including, you know, my romantic relationships, things like that, because, Absolutely. um, because I have this sense of who I am. And this, uh, absolutely, you know, this inner hotness, I guess. so important. (laughs) Yes, it's so important. And here's a practical thing you can do. I actually have one on this. Perfect. (laughs) You can, you can look in the mirror every day, every time you're getting in the shower, you know, disrobe to the level that you can tolerate. And I know that sounds a little funny, but for some people that that's not very far and look in the mirror and look every day for one thing that you find uh, that you value, that you're grateful for with your body, that you find attractive, anything that you can look for what and acknowledge the beauty that's there. Mm-hmm. And it will get easier with time if you keep doing it. But we're so accustomed to for scanning for what is not acceptable to us rather than really for all the beauty and loveliness that is our bodies, mm-hmm. really. Yes. It's just being able to see what's real. And we, we often think we see what's real and we're actually distorted. Mm-hmm. I just want to end by earnestly, like genuinely thanking you for your work. I know that you probably have a sense mm-hmm. from how important it is based on the clients that you talk to and the experiences mm-hmm. that you've had in your private sessions. But um, I know it has impacted my life deeply and many of the women that I talk to about your work. And I also just wanted to tell you that I feel like you are an example to me of a woman who's living her purpose. Mm. And I just think that is so important and goes back to what you were saying about um, a woman who's able to claim her strength and to put goodness in the world. And you are doing that. And it's such a great example to all of us. So thank you for your example and for coming on and sharing a piece of your wisdom today. Thank you, Rachel. I'm it makes me happy to know it's had a positive impact for you. And, and then I'm, I'm happy to be here today. So thanks for having me. That was really just scratching the surface of Dr. Finlayson Fife's work. And if this has piqued your interest, I strongly encourage you to go to her website, which I will link in the show notes, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, and to invest in one of her courses. She has four courses and they are a phenomenal value for families. Honestly, each course is less than one counseling session would cost. 
Um, she has strengthening your relationship, couples, sexuality, the art of desire, which is the class that I went to and how to talk to your kids about sex. And I either have bought or plan to buy all of them. And this is not sponsored. I plan to buy it with my own money because it is that valuable. Right now, she is doing a 20% off Christmas sale, and the best part about her courses is that they come with free office hours once a month, so you can ask her your specific questions that relate to your relationship. It really is an amazing value. As you can hear, I have a bad cold, which I didn't have a few days ago when I recorded with Jennifer, thankfully. But bear with me as I recap our three takeaways. So Jennifer wanted us to remember that any frames of meaning that are constrictive, basically that make us feel smaller or bored or that we owe something to someone, those are going to inhibit our desire versus frames of meaning that are expansive, that make us feel more ourselves, bigger, better, like we have agency to ourselves. Those are going to increase desire. She talked about the three common frames of meaning that mothers have that can inhibit our desire. First, that a good mother strips herself of all of her desires, including her sexual desires, for the benefit of her children. Second, that a good woman is a caretaker of men's sexuality. And third, that women who are uncomfortable with their bodies and dislike their bodies have a much harder time finding fulfillment in sex. And you'll have to dig back into the episode and listen to her advice under each of those. This is definitely one of those that you might have to listen to twice and take notes. So grateful that she came on with her amazing wisdom. And I highly encourage you to go and check out her courses. And I hope that you have a great week with your family.